Winning Edge Investments provides industry-leading horse racing and sports tips, ratings and education which enables you to invest intelligently and treat your betting like a business. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com and start boosting your betting bank immediately. Today on the Winning Edge podcast, we're catching up with Queensland jockey Ryan Wiggins. G'day, Ryan. Hey, mate. How you going? Good, thanks, mate. I wanted to get you on the show to talk about a range of things, including the podcast yourself and fellow Queensland jockey Ronnie Stewart have started producing. But before we get into that, uh, tell us how you got into racing. Yeah, mate. Um, obviously, oh, not many people know, but my dad was a jockey, Peter Wiggins, and my uncle Stu, they were brothers. And, um, yeah, they were both jockeys when I was growing up. And, uh, yeah, they I pretty much followed in their footsteps. My dad became a trainer just before I started riding. He, he um, tried me to steer me away from, from racing. He made me finish my schooling and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I had the bug pretty much when I was a young kid. So, yeah, he, he couldn't stop that, that's for sure. I was um, apprenticed in Canberra. I was apprenticed in Canberra at John Morrissey's, and I did a little bit of time with Gary Kirk up just before I left to Sydney, and I went um, did my last six months at Warwick Farm with Mark Connors and Clary Connors. And you were, had a pretty close relationship with Guy Walter as well, didn't you? Yeah, when I obviously when I moved to uh, Warwick Farm, obviously Guy was one of the bit, biggest trainers there, and um, uh, Clary used to send me off when I finished work at um, at their stables to go ride work for Guy and. Yeah, I was lucky enough to ride a few and win in Spreem. And I think everyone that, when they're a predator and you're coming through the Warwick Farm sort of situation at that, that track, um, Guy always used to, you know, um, put the apprentices on. And as much as he was a bit of an eccentric guy, he was so particular with the way he used to work his horses and stuff like that. And he was so good with the horses. And look, it took a long time to work the horses and stuff like that. But um, nothing ever got rushed. And he had so many good horses when I was there. And, and it just proves that even like, their old mares that he had, like um, a couple of good old mares he had there. He, he just kept, they were still winning when I was six and seven year old winning group one races. So it just proved the way he trained, he'd keep a horse going for a long time and keeping them happy. And that's a hard thing to do when you're a trainer. You were surrounded by some very successful trainers and mentors in the early days. What was the best piece of advice you've ever got? I was lucky enough when I first moved to Sydney, I, I rode a few winners and, and I didn't have a manager at the time. And, and, um, Darren Beban pulled me aside and said, oh, you haven't got a manager, Jock? And I said, no. And he goes, oh, well, I'll speak to my manager anyway. I went over to his manager and Darren took me under his wing a little bit at that stage. And, yeah, Darren, as much as he, he didn't say anything in particular, he was always there to help you and he was always there to help kids and stuff like that. And he was always so good with the apprentices. And whatever I learned, I always learned from him and Corey Brown. He was sort of, Corey Brown was a bit younger than him and them two guys were pretty big inspiration for me when I was, Riding in in, uh, in Sydney as a kid, that's for sure. And how are you enjoying uh, Brisbane life? Oh, I've loved Brisbane from the time I've, I've been here. It's been a bit slow, uh, you know, for a season every now and then, but people don't realise up here you don't have to travel as much. And like I was saying to you earlier, the, the travelling in, in Sydney is, is not great, you know what I mean? You spend your life in a car and the money's great and, yeah, you get a lot of rides and ride a lot of winners, but you travel so much, you end up living in the car and... It's just not healthy for you mentally, and you get burnt out very easily. Where in Brisbane, all, the furthest I've got to travel is an hour to the Sunshine Coast in the car, or and it, 50 minutes on a plane to Rockhampton. So I find it a lot easier up here, and you get a lot more family time with my wife and my child. So it, it definitely it prolongs your career, that's for sure. And you take a lot of rides up in Mackay and Rockhampton. Uh, what do you usually do to pass the time on the plane rides up there? I like listening to 
listening to podcasts, to be honest. I'm a, I'm a big NFL guy, and um, obviously when the season started a few months ago, I like listening to the podcast there and just a bit of music and stuff like that. But it's good to do the form, and especially if you've got to ride the next day. Like a lot of these meetings are on a Thursday or a Friday, and you get to do the form for the Saturday, which is good. You get to spend, you know, get a quiet time for, you know, 50 minutes or an hour and a half, and you get a fair bit done. But sometimes you're just tired and you want to have a sleep, to be honest. But um, no, it's not too bad. And I don't find it that hard. And it's been good for my weight. I've, I've, when I come back from overseas, I was struggling a little bit with my weight because I was only riding heavy over there. And it's finally starting to get back where it should be now. And it paid off last season. You were um, second on the state's overall jockey premiership with 103 and a half wins. Yeah, it did. And, and I, to be honest, I never really planned going up there and started riding. But um, Ashley Butler, a, a local, uh, one of the leading local riders up there, had a bad fall at Townsville one day, and he sent me a text and said, "Oh, this guy I ride for the next day. I had five or six ride for, rides for the next day, so I can't ride. I broke my leg and all this sort of stuff." And I said, "Oh yeah." He goes, "Do you want to come up and you'll pay for your flights and you go out there and ride the horse?" So I, oh, yeah. this was Jared Wheeler. Anyway, so I've gone up there and. Had a ride and rode a couple of winners, and it's been it went like that for a whole twelve months, and obviously still going now, being on about eighteen months going up there. So, yeah, it only just fell in my lap, to be honest. I never really planned on doing it, but it's been good. It keeps a couple of days during the week a bit busy, which helps your weight as well. And there's probably no Group One winners up there, but you rode famous Seamus to win a Group One in the BTC Cup back in 2014, the race now known as the Kingston Smith Cup. Is he one of your favourite horses? Oh, obviously, he's a special horse to me. Obviously, winning my first group one was, was great, and, and for such a good person like Noel Mayfield, Smith's always been a supporter of mine. Um, yeah, it was great. Like like you said, he, you never know, you know what I mean? I, I think in Queensland, we really struggle to find the top-class little horses. It's hard enough to actually find one, let alone get on one. Um, we always find Southern Raiders come up here and, and, and bring in their own jockeys and stuff like that. So it does make it hard. But um, at the same time, too, if I never come to Brisbane, I might never run into that horse either. So it was been great. And, you know, he's, he'll always be one of my favourite horses for sure. And who would you say is the most talented horse you've ridden? I've ridden a few good horses. When I was in Sydney, I was lucky enough to sit on a few good horses. I, I was lucky enough to sit on a horse like Divine Madonna and Jerome um, Rogers had a lot of good horses when I was there. Um Horse that won the Golden Slipper, I got the gallop like the week before the races. Savabill and horses like these, all the horses like. But um, I was probably lucky enough when I first moved to Queensland, I had a bit of a run with Robbie Heathcote, and as much as I never rode uh, buffering in a race, I was lucky enough to ride in track work a heap of times and in trials and um, you know race day gallops and things like that. And to be honest, he's probably one of the best horses I've ever ridden. Like he was just a freak, the horse, and he was so strong and. He used to show his speed in a race and still show his speed at the end of a race, but just such a big heart, the horse, and when you're riding work, he was so gentle and stuff like that. Um, he definitely deserved what he got in the end, winning a few group ones, that's for sure. Is it something that still burns bright to win another group one? I know you came very close on Dawson Diva in the Queensland Oaks earlier this year. Yeah, of course it was. It always is. You know, that time of year, it's, you know, like I said, it's very hard. You know, I remember mean? we're all fighting for anything we can find. But I seem to find that the, the derbies and the oaks are the sort of horses, that, you know, for the local horses you want to try and try and find because, you know, they're a little bit weaker, those group ones. So, uh, but definitely it's still there. Of course, I'd love to ride another one. And, and being going so close last, last carnival was a great thing for me because it just gave me that bit of a spark to you know, put my head down and, and work my way into trying finding another one. 
and hopefully not just ride one my whole life, my whole career. <laughs> is she the one, uh, Dawson Diva, is she the one who you think is most likely to get that next Group 1 winner? Or? Oh, it's hard to say. She's been a little bit disappointing here and there. Obviously a three-year-old, you know, turning into a four-year-old now and, and racing older horses, she struggled a little bit. Um, last Sunshine Coast meeting, she struggled and, you know, she's just a man now that might struggle. But I, I, I wouldn't say so. Um, to be honest, she's probably listed maybe group group sort of horse if she can get get her um, form up there. But um, no, not at the moment. I wouldn't say she's one of the ones I'll have to find something else, I think. Obviously, Magic Man's coming up with there's a lot of two-year-olds going around that and that. So, at the moment, you're just trying to get on, get your backs on, and as many two-year-olds trials and jump bets, and hope you can find a decent one that can actually get you there to the race. So, fingers crossed, they'll be able to sit on a good one sooner or later. Um, I don't like making a call too early with them. I'd prefer to get them on, get on them later if you can get on one. Because uh, if they seem to get on one, the first couple of meetings of the the first couple of two-year-old races of the season, it seems to be too early, and they've got to come back and spell and. And, and come back and work and, and measure up again too. So I actually like the ones through November to December that just have a small lead up into the into the uh, Magic Man. So fingers crossed I could find one this year. Um, didn't have one in it last year, but the, the few years before that, I've always had one in it for sure. What's a normal day like for you? Do you, do you ride track work each day? Um, I only ride track work Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays at Eagle Farm. I'm lucky enough just to be uh, based out on the back of the Durban track there. Um yeah, I go on Tuesdays and Saturdays to Eagle Farm and I try and get up on Thursday and go to the Sunshine Coast for um, Garner Tail and Stuart Kendrick and uh, now Tommy Button's moved up there. So I do a bit of riding for Tommy as well. So I spread myself out a little bit. Um, Eagle Farm's more like Chris Anderson, Robert Heathcote and Chrissy Munts and a little bit for Barry Lockwood here and there. But um, yeah, it's good living there. It's good, nice and central for me and I don't have to get up too early to get the track where that's a big bonus as well. Yeah. <laughs> Is uh, Eagle Farm your favourite track to ride on? Oh, yeah, Eagle Farm is, yeah. Even when, uh, when I was a kid, Ram, it was always my favourite. And I love the big, long straights. That's why I love Rockhampton. People don't realise how good of a track Rockhampton is, you know. And I know the horses aren't top grade there, but geez, we'd love to have another metro track with a 600-metre straight. It'd be, it'd be outstanding for Queensland racing. But, um, yeah, definitely Eagle Farm. I know they've been hit and miss with the grass, but it looks like they're on top of it now and... It's good to see it racing good and horses coming from behind and leading and when they're moving the rail in and out. So, yeah, definitely my, my favourite track up here. What's the track you despise riding on in, in Queensland? I'm not a big fan of Durban, to be honest. I just think it just suits a certain horse, obviously different to Eagle Farm or Sunshine Coast or even Ipswich. Um, sort of more on pace. Uh, bar- barriers are a big thing. Uh, I feel if you draw one to five, you're in a better chance than anyone drawing from five to 15 um, there. It, it just makes it hard. And the races are run so much quicker as it, it's not a short run to the first turn and things like that. But the 13 is a great start. And, geez, I can't be too hard on the track. I suppose I rode my group one winner there, but um, <laughs> it was only small field, so I couldn't get in too much trouble. But um, yeah, definitely Eagle Farm. But I'm not a big fan. You know, there's, there's a couple little country tracks here that are a bit tight, but... If I had to choose it, you know, out of Eagle Farm and Durban, I'd, I'd choose Eagle Farm every day of the week, that's for sure. Yep. I don't despise riding at Durban, but there's just a certain horse that, you know, you look at the form and you know uh, what horses suit the track and you just got to be on the right ones in the right gates, on the, especially at Durban. What's the one race in the world you'd, you'd love to win? See, everyone says Melbourne Cup area. It's a bit of a cliche. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's because I was saying this to someone the other day when the Melbourne Cup was. I don't know if it's because I'm not from Melbourne or I haven't, 
experienced the actual Melbourne Cup Day Carnival um, and haven't had to have that vibe, I've never really found it one of those races that I'd want to win. I'm more of a sort of a golden slipper sort of person. I'd love to win a golden slipper or a Doncaster Epsom or one of those sort of my favourite tracks sort of thing. But, yeah, I'd have to say golden slipper would be my favourite to win one for sure. Love two-year-olds. What about a race in Queensland to win? Um, I think the Stradbroke's probably the best one to win, to be honest. Um, any great one's good in Queensland, but, yeah, definitely the Stradbroke. Stradbroke Day's got a good feel about it. Obviously, being at Eagle Farm and stuff like that, and it's just one of those those 1,400-metre high-pressure races that it's just a good race to win, you know what I mean? And I think it's just one of Queensland's, definitely Queensland's best group one, that's for sure. You mentioned earlier you struggle with your weight a little bit. What's the uh, hardest food to say no to when you're trying to shred some weight off? I can I can deal not having food. It's more the water and the, the drink sort of situation. I'm one of those sort of people that I could go for food without days, but you ask most jockeys and you ask them what their favourite drink is or what their favourite, you know, if they want a beer or something like that, that's more of a thing that I crave. But, jeez, uh, I can't beat a good steak. I love a good steak. I, I could eat steak every night if I could, but... Um, it's obviously not on the menu every night as my weight's not that great, but, um, yeah, definitely, definitely a steak. How much work does it take to keep the weight down for you? Oh, it's just a consistent battle. Like, we all go through stages. I, I do all the time where, where my weight is good and then it's not for, for a period of time and then it becomes good. But I think you just got to push through and, and keep riding. Obviously, the, the summer is a lot better. Um Riding work in summer and riding races, even though it's a little bit hot, you seem to uh, go off your food a little bit and you don't eat, eat as much. And I think your weight comes. I think everyone in general, their weight comes down a kilo or two, if, as long as you keep the water up to you. And um, but yeah, I, that you know that's probably the hardest bit for me that that weight was. But um, I struggle. I, I usually walk around about fifty eight, fifty nine. But when my weight's good, I can ride fifty four. Um, I'm riding 54 on Saturday, obviously. Um, but I think on Saturdays it's pretty important to ride 54, um, even though the horses, you know, on the limit aren't the best horses either sometimes, but they're there on a Saturday for a reason because they can gallop. And you miss you miss a lot of opportunities if you can't, don't try and ride 54 as much as you can on a Saturday in town. What's the future of you? Are you going to keep riding for decades to come? <laughs> I've always said I didn't want to and I don't want to, but, mate, it's just one of those jobs. It's... it's it's, it's a great career and, and you get a good living out of it. And I know it's hard sometimes and, you know, we see people fall and, and injuries and even people die, you know what I mean? But it's just one of those things, you, like I said, you've been, you've been doing it for so long since you were young and you just fall in love with it. And I, sometimes I really struggle with how it would be if you couldn't ride. You know, I think a lot of jockeys, when they stop riding, they struggle with the whole, you know, being where they were and, and then stop doing that and getting that adrenaline rush, how that would affect someone. But, um... Yeah, I, I'm not, I don't want to ride forever. I'm only 37. I'm probably still youngish compared to some of the jockeys, and but I've still got a fair while in me yet. And as long as my body keeps letting me do it, I'm, I've been lucky. I haven't had any real bad injuries, so I'll just keep poking along and see how I go. And you were quite vocal earlier in the year about um, drug testing up in Queensland. Sort of run us through why you were so vocal about the um, the, the drug testing. Um, I was very vocal just because. There's a lot of stuff going on in Queensland racing at the time when we moved from just having stewards to having Curic as well, and a lot of things went missing and, and stuff like that. And it was just one of those things that we said, oh, we a lot of us used to go, we haven't been tested for so long, like, you know, what's what's the go? And I'm not saying everyone's doing the wrong thing or, or anything like that, but um, 
obviously when when the whole Luke Tarrant thing come to hand and and a few other jockeys as well, it just it just pointed the fact that they they weren't on the ball with what they needed to do and they kind of lost um, what they were what they had to do um, when they changed over from just being stewards to Keurig. So look, they've they've ramped up the testing, which is great. Um, I could say they've been doing a lot of testing, which is also good. And obviously, it just makes it a bit better even playing field. Now I'm not so much worried about well. I am worried about you know, recreational drugs, but also um, the dietary drugs as well, like um, help you know stuff that help you you lose weight and things like that. Like to be honest, like we've, we've all been somewhere in our life where we've had to take them or do that. But now that I'm a bit older and I've I've always struggled with my weight, probably the last 10, 15 years, I've always tried to do it the clean way and that sort of stuff. And when you're seeing other jockeys being able to ride light and, and get more opportunities because they were you they were cheating the system as we would say and and not, nothing against them it's just because they were allowed to because the testing wasn't there and no one was doing anything about it but um like i said now they've, they've started testing the testing's ramped up and they've done a lot of testing and they've definitely caught up that's for sure and like i said to you earlier anyone that got done for to drugs now would would need rocks in their head because they, you know they're there now and they're there they're there to be come any meeting and get you so yeah i wouldn't be doing anything out of the ordinary at the moment if you were in charge of racing, what would be a rule you'd focus on looking at changing? Probably the whip rule. Yeah, I, there's been a bit of talk about it the last few days. I, I'm, a, I'm a totally against the whip rule being changed and, and making it, or even the whip rule being like abolished, the whip rule whip being abolished. Um, I just don't see it happening, and I, I just don't think that there would, it would be good for racing. Um, everyone says, oh, well, they'll, they'll still be racing and people still bet on it and that, but I just don't reckon the integrity of the the racing will, will get any better from not having the whip. Um, and obviously, I've been riding my whole life, and I just know how much horses sometimes need that bit of an encouragement or get some rogue horses that don't have real good steering and that sort of thing that that the whip, you know, has saved me sometimes and saved a lot of other jockeys too. I, I definitely go back, not saying the old whip rule where you could just flog them, which I think was, you know, outdated, obviously, and, and Stone Age sort of stuff, but... You know, the whole whip rule now, I, I think you should be allowed to... I think Melbourne, have, uh, not Melbourne, um, New Zealand have adopted a, a good program where I think you're allowed to hit them four or five times and then you have to give them so many strides and then hit them again sort of thing. And I think that would work more for us uh, rather than trying to get the best out of your horse the last 100 metres where we all know the last 100 metres, unless you're, you're right there and the finish is not going to make any difference sort of thing. So I definitely would probably change the whip rule. Yeah, it's definitely a, a dangerous enough sport without taking the whip away for you guys to guide the horse. So, um, I agree with. I, you I just there. don't think I just don't I just don't think people realise how much it would affect racing if it was to change, and like the whip rule to be uh, the whip to be gone altogether. I just think people would lose interest in racing, and you'd find it. Trust me, you'd find a lot of horses that would um, that would jerry or, or be brought up with no whip and. You can push them as much as you want sometimes and they'll just go up and down on the spot if they want to and, and they can be very cunning. Um, so that at that stage too, like that, that's not great for racing and I think people would turn off betting and stuff like that. And then obviously when you turn off betting, the, the government gets involved and, you know, they, they wouldn't give you as much money and, and then everyone would start, be, you know, not going broke, but everyone has struggled and it's hard. It's a hard game as it is, you know. You you wouldn't need. I know we've we've been so lucky with prize money, especially in New South Wales and Victoria, and with prize. And even Queensland's got a lot better the last five or six years. 
But um, geez, uh, racing racing anywhere in Australia couldn't afford to, to lose any prize money because people stopped, stopped wagering on as much. So, yeah, I definitely think it's a pretty big subject and I just don't like other jokes saying that we should get rid of it because I just I don't think of that. Oh, that's just my opinion, you know. Yeah. All right, mate. And um, so yourself and Ronnie Stewart have put out a, a new podcast called Out the Gap. What's behind that, mate? Um. Well, we're both just avid lovers of podcasts, and we just thought we, you know, get a bit bored sometimes on a Monday. There's not much racing and stuff like that, so we thought, oh, well, maybe we can just wing it and try and do a podcast and and just have people on in racing or in sports that that just really see the other side and uh, you know talk about like we know a lot of things about another, a lot of jockeys that a lot of you guys wouldn't know um, behind the scenes sort of stuff and and just great stories and great conversation. It's just good to hear from people and and get told stories and it's amazing how, you know that's what our industry relies on too is, is just stories of of what's happened in racing and and where people have been and how they've come on their journey it's it's so great to talk about and i think it's endless of how much you could talk about it for sure i believe it's one of the first if not the first podcast which is done by a trainer or a jockey so it's great to hear some different stories from a different angle yeah it's good i think color boys in western australia i think the pavements i think that's their name um, we're doing a, a podcast and um, yeah they just found it to be hard because they, they do a bit of racing over there but obviously in Queensland with us pretty much not racing on Mondays and Tuesdays we've got a bit of time so no it's good it's been fun um, it's very hard it's not as easy as everyone <laughs> thinks it is but um, especially doing a visual too like I, I like listening to podcasts but also I like watching them sometimes too if I'm, I'm sweating in the bath or something too so sometimes you need to put a, a, a a face to the voice as well which is good sometimes but then sometimes I go for a walk and just listen to them as well but yeah I just thought it was a good idea and we're just going to put one out every two weeks and and yeah just hope people get involved and like we're not expecting too much out of it but it's just a bit of fun and Ronnie Stewart's pretty good with the the camera side and the editing sort of thing and we've had a little bit of help that way too but it's been a bit of fun but like I said it's it's not as easy as everyone thinks it has been so (laughs) it should be a bit of fun. Your first episode was quite popular. You had um, Larry Cassidy on board, so that was good to learn a bit more about him. Well, everyone who knows Larry knows Larry likes telling the story. So, <laughs> to be honest, it, it got edited a fair bit. It was pretty long, and we even put the one we put out was end up being about forty-eight minutes or something, which is still too long for a podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, just little things like that. Like we know these stories, and you know we'll, we we can tell people their stories as much as we like. But a lot of the punters, and, and now that social media is so big too, with people and. Sometimes people just like seeing the other side of, of people and, and they might get a different perspective on them as well. Um, you know, we cop a bit of an ear bashing on social media sometimes too and, you know, it's just a different side of things and I just hope everyone can just watch it and listen and if they like it, that's great. If they don't, that's fine, but we don't expect too much out of it. Pretty popular, that first one, so hopefully it continues to be widely received and um, good luck with it all. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thanks for coming on the show, Ryan. No worries. Thanks for having me on, buddy. At Winning Edge Investments, we have a team of highly skilled expert analysts and full-time professional punters who review the data, crunch the figures, and assess the best betting opportunities, which are then delivered straight to your phone or inbox in real time so that you profit.